Hey, 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 this is Sophie. I'm finishing up the editing for this episode right now. I think it was a really fun discussion with Raymond and Trinity, and I think you'll really enjoy it. One thing I wanted you to know before we go into the episode is that uh, we neglected to mention this while we were recording, but Raymond and Trinity and I were all on Thanksgiving break, and so Trinity and I were crammed into someone else's bedroom uh, with a weird makeshift recording studio, and Raymond was at his sister's apartment, so if you hear some weird stuff in the background or sounds or creaks or things like that. I tried to edit a lot of that stuff out, but if you hear it, that's why that's happening. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, you're listening to Unreliable Narrators, a Stoa Mars Hill podcast. I'm Sophie Klomperens. And I'm Raymond Docapil. And I'm Trinity Klomperens. Unreliable Narrators is a podcast hosted by Stoa alumni where we discuss media, literature, and the arts, and how they relate to Christ, the self, and the world. In this podcast, we will be discussing episode 9 of the Star Wars saga, The Rise of Skywalker, along with our special guest, Trinity Klomperens. We hope you enjoy our discussion. You're listening to Unreliable Narrators. There are no new words under the sun. There are no new notes I have left to hum. There are no new rhymes yet to be sung. There are no new chords that strings haven't so here we are. We are on our third episode, and we have a special guest. Yay! Uh, Trinity, <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello. My name is Trinity. <laughs> I believe the two things... Oh, I have a bone to pick. Oh. With, with my two co-narrators. Oh my gosh. Um, actually, the two things... I was listening to our first episode. I was listening... And I heard first that I was a wood nymph, which never would I have suspected <laughs> that listening to this podcast unassumingly would be revealed as a wood nymph. And then, wait, so the problem that we called you a wood nymph, or is the problem that we revealed it? Like that well, you are, okay, and that's not a classified well, information. We will leave that up to the listeners. But then, a few minutes later, I hear that I'm also bad at Mars Hill. Now, both of these things are true, but I was shocked to hear them announced, announced within the first five minutes of the podcast. But anyways, anyways, um, so yeah, actually, I, I think those I are hope, the only two things that you need to know I hope you about. took that as a compliment, that you're a wood nymph. I, I most certainly, I, well, I think the problem was know. that it was classified information. So, oh yeah, okay, yes, but being ranked fifth and below, that was not classified information. Oh no, 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 no. See, that's not, that's totally fair game. I think, yeah. See, the thing is, <laughs> Trinity's favorite subject is hubris, and <laughs> revealing that she was ranked fifth and below by Raymond the first time they met, I think is just making sure that Trinity doesn't have any hubris going into this recording session. <laughs> oh, most certainly. And I only want to talk about hubris, actually. That's So, actually, the three things you need to know about me, I suppose. I'm Four. I'll give you four things. The first, I am a wood nymph, which is already revealed, but I mean, I kind of wish it weren't, but now that it's out there, whatever. Okay. Two, I'm bad at Mars Hill. <laughs> so, kind of gets rid of my qualifications to be on this podcast. Um, three... I only want to talk about hubris. I think it's the most important thing anyone can talk about. And four, I own a Cheetos t-shirt. <laughs> Great. So Trinity has an, uh, won several national championships since I ranked her fifth and below. Yes. Um, 
and and she's now uh, on the debate team, I believe, at Patrick Henry College. Is that correct? That is correct. I'm yes. on the moot court team. I'm on the mock trial team. Yeah. Yep. So 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 uh, she's she's got a lot lot of credentials, and, and we're yeah. very glad <laughs> to have her. I I say I'll say nice things to her face, you know. <laughs> that's that's very that's very kind. I do appreciate. It. Before we get into the subject matter today, which is the rise of Skywalker, I think we need to be forthcoming. We need to show our us. cards from the beginning. <laughs> One of us does not love the rise of Skywalker as much as the other two. And I will allow that person to reveal him or herself at this moment. I, I, that would be yours truly. I am not a fan of Rise oh, of Skywalker. <laughs> so, you will discover that probably very quickly uh, as we record. So just to shed some light on the background, uh, Trinity and I decided to record this episode without Raymond's input. We so, did try to do it in secret. Um, that's somehow true. word got out, and he snuck his way in. <laughs> I, I, I had volunteered to to excuse myself, but I was actually hmm. included. Not what I remember. <laughs> I think I uh, I'm not. I think I might have dragged you back in, or I, I don't know. I I will keep my comments civil. Um, good. We won't have any fights. As, because as of today, I am now a, a, a public figure, so. Wait, why are you a public figure as of today? Because I'm putting myself on a pu- podcast on the internet, so. Oh, but you already so did that. So we are that. all public. Okay, yes, whoa, so, is this okay. hubris? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, unacceptable. No, I, I have positive things to say about Star Wars, um, and about okay. The, Lu- the universe that Luke has created, so, um, okay. you know, I can say things, some things about that, for sure. Okay, so before, before we get into Rise of Skywalker, now that you know, Raymond doesn't like this movie, Trinity and I like this movie, uh, we all acknowledge that there are problems with oh, it. let's revise that. Love this movie. Yes. <laughs> we are big fans. But just keep in mind, if you're listening to this podcast because you want to hear us talk about uh, philosophy and theology and how those relate to art and literature and things like that, then you don't need to worry about this. But if you're listening to this podcast because you are a Mars Hill competitor and you want to do Mars Hill better, just remember, it's very important, when you're giving a Mars Hill speech, your audience is assumed to be someone who is not familiar with Christianity, but who does love this thing. So your audience... Assume your audience loves The Rise of Skywalker like Trinity and I do, and even if you might hear some negative commentary on this podcast because we're all just talking about a piece of art, um, you should not make negative commentary about Rise of Skywalker if you give a speech about it. That's really important because that's part of the event. You should, is you you should remain professional. It. Yes. <laughs> so, first of all, this is kind of a general Star Wars thing, but it does come in specifically in Rise of Skywalker. There's this whole idea, laced throughout the whole Star Wars universe, but also especially in Rise of Skywalker, that rather than good and evil, we have a more Eastern idea often of yin and yang, or of uh, a balance, so that there's the light side of the Force and the dark side of the Force, and they're specifically called the light side and the dark side, and that those things aren't necessarily labeled as good 
or evil, even though we call them good and evil often when we're watching the Star Wars saga. What do you guys think about that idea and how it relates to this particular movie? Like, does The Rise of Skywalker carry through that idea of light and dark being a matter of balance and not necessarily of good or evil? Or do we see more conflict between obvious good and obvious evil in this movie? That's actually something that I find very interesting about this movie, is that throughout the entire, the entirety of Star Wars, that is the motif. It is, you have good and you have evil, and they are balancing each other out. And then, you have Kylo Ren who comes along, and he is supposedly the balance to Rey, who is good, but... In this movie, it is made very clear that she has elements of the dark side in her, and he has elements of the light side in her, in him. And so it's almost a subversion of the idea that you have good and you have evil, and they are at odds, but they're balancing each other out. And instead, you have, they exist together in everyone. In some ways, even, Kylo Ren isn't isn't fully evil, or isn't even fully on the dark side at all, and eventually becomes good. So, I I don't know, that's not really a super complete thought, but I do think that it is, in a lot of ways, a subversion of the idea that there is good and there is evil alone. Well, this, I I think that the idea of yin and yang being um, uh, good and evil, and that they balance each other out, in some sense, is a little bit of a misunderstanding of of yin and yang, um, which I think in the original Eastern tradition had more to do, um, very little to do with good and evil. But I think that there was a kind of synthesis between the Western conception of good and evil and the Eastern ideas of yin and yang, and they kind of mapped uh, like good onto the yin and evil onto the yang. Um, whereas I don't think that that was exa- exactly what yin and yang meant i mean when i mean it was more to do with with order and chaos um but because star wars is kind of a combination of eastern philosophy and kind of the western gunslinger then it kind of makes sense that that's what came across and i think that's an interesting convergence of ideas um but again you know I'm not entirely confident that that east the eastern idea is the idea that you know evil doesn't exist but of course I'm not an expert in that um um but it it is clear that that's kind of the where George Lucas was coming from um he did seem to take a lot of influence from from Buddhism and this idea of of well the initial premise is that life is suffering and the way that we need to eliminate suffering is that we need to eliminate desire and that's kind of what the Jedi's do. They live a life, life of asceticism and when they die they basically disappear into non-entity kind of like how Nirvana is basically a state of mind. So there are these ideas present there that have to do with kind of transcending your emotions um, and reaching self-actualization through asceticism. Um, which I think is very rooted in Eastern philosophy. Um, I don't know how if how deep it goes, but I think that it is actually you know uh, really important in 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 pop culture, and it ha- obviously had a huge influence on pop culture. Um, so, in the question of how that actually comes into play 
in you know the new Star Wars films, um, it's a little bit difficult for me personally to parse out because um, without George Lucas on board, I'm not sure whether the writers of their new Star Wars films um, were quite informed with the Eastern tradition to the same level that George Lucas was. And so it was our, difficult for me to detect what exactly uh, they were doing with it. And it seemed to be more of, and it become more of an inbred religion versus, you know, drawing directly from the original Eastern tradition. So, for example, another way of saying is that they were using consulting secondary sources instead of primary sources. You know, they were consulting George Lucas's idea of the Force rather than, and George Lucas was consulting the Eastern traditions. That's actually really interesting because what you were just saying about how it's not just good or evil, it's more of chaos or an order, or it's more of two energies that are balancing each other out. That actually seems more present in, I would say, Rise of Skywalker than in any of the previous movies. In, in the previous movies... Well, you know, I mean, there's this whole... There's this whole, um, uh, you know, like, subreddit called The Empire Did Nothing Wrong, which I think is kind of funny because they do <laughs> make some good points. I mean... The Empire was was obviously orderly, and they had much they had superior technology. That's something that I was saying while I was watching it was the Empire seems very industrial versus say the Jedi Order, which is uh, definitely more in touch with nature. They're in Rise of Skywalker. They're always in the woods. There, and there's also I mean especially in the new trilogy, I think there's lots of emphasis on them as individuals um until you get to this movie because you have ray the first time we see her is out there meditating and saying be with me be with me that she's trying to connect with all of these jedi ancestors that she has but she's alone she's by herself well when they the in 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 the new films you know they do kind of they switch between the good guys and the bad guys um, but it's really kind of difficult for me to detect what exactly it is about the bad guys that are bad and what exactly it is about the good guys that are good. Um, like, why are they so evil besides aesthetics? You know, one place is dark and the other place is light. I mean, they blow up some buildings or some 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 planets, but you don't actually see any civilians getting killed. The, the Empire are always in space. They're not really personal. They don't make any kind of personal interactions with any of the people that they're oppressing. And so, like, they're at war, and that's basically all we know about it. Well, except for, I think, I mean, the the aesthetic of the First Order is very similar to the aesthetic of the Empire. And with both of them, there are lots of Roman elements. I think you're supposed to remember or, or be Nazis. reminded of I ancient think, Rome. I mean, I think they're... It was more drawn off space Nazis in the original series than off, than from Rome. Yes, that I mean that's true, <laughs> but there's the same idea of like the what the Romans did that makes them the villains of a lot of stories about them um, is that they conquer and then rule, and so sort of the I think especially in the new trilogy the thing that the First Order does, or is doing, that is wrong, or evil, at least from the perspective of the writers, is just the fact that they are conquering, or the fact that they are ruling people that want to be free. Um, which is why the people are then called, like, 
the resistance. Mm, it's almost like the dark side, because they're motivated by power and gaining power, that's the, those are almost the forces that are balancing each other out. It's the desire for power versus the desire So to have we agreed then that the, that the Empire is actually evil? Or I guess I should say the First Order? Or is it not? Or is it, or are they, or are they developing... Are they developing Lucas's idea and making it making the uh, the forces of good and evil more ambiguous and more like balance in the new ones? Yeah, I think in the new movies they're definitely blurring the line between them, and it is not clear that the dark side is supposed to be evil. I think in the first movies it definitely is. I don't know if they are doing that intentionally or if it just. Except that the thing that makes me push back against that is the whole, so the character, and I mean, we're going to talk a lot more about Kylo Ren later, but the whole Ben Solo arc, if you're rooting for anything, and if there's any one thread that you can follow really clearly through the whole new trilogy, which admittedly is pretty disjointed, it's the fact that you're rooting for Kylo Ren to have his full redemption arc <laughs> that you want Ben Solo back and that that's not like that you want him to go from being evil or to being what he is in the beginning to turning and joining rejoining the light side of the force which is where he was originally so I think just the fact that you're sort of rooting for him to come back and that's sort of a homecoming for him that the fact that you're rooting for that seems to me like at the very least that fact makes it a pretty clear there is a good, which is what you want him to be, and an evil, which is what you make him, what you want him not to be. And that the fact that it's not particularly clear what the First Order is doing that's so evil or so bad, I don't know if that's an intentional blurring of the lines. I do think um, uh, Kylo Ren does seem to be a more human character than other villains that we typically see in the Star Wars universe. Um, which I think is interesting. I think for the first time you see... Okay, I said for the first time. I could be wrong about that. <laughs> but you, you see a character who is trying to live up to a name. Is that something you've ever seen in Star Wars? I don't think so. It's like, it, it, there's almost no interaction mm -hmm. with characters ancestors there's no um you know trying to live up to your family name and then for the first time you see someone who is trying to and it just adds a humanity that i think i just haven't seen well i do characters. i now that i think about it actually the this generation it's sort of like a next generation of star trek sort of thing like you have ray and kylo ren and all these characters who are young and who also are more closely connected to the generation that came before them um especially kylo ren because like what you're saying he has darth vader's helmet and he's like i want to be like my grandfather and things like that whereas in the luke skywalker generation it feels the previous generation like the obi-wan kenobi generation everyone who came before him feel they all feel much farther away that digging up that past is a lot harder for Luke than it is for any of the new characters in the new trilogy. But that might be wrong, but that's definitely the impression that I get. There is certainly a connection with 
the ancestors, both for Kylo Ren and Rey. The interesting difference between them, I think, is that Kylo Ren views his grandfather and says, I need to be like him, but he's led away from it by a more powerful force. Versus Rey, who knows her ancestors were, I mean, the Palpatine family. Mm -hmm. And she sees that and is repulsed by it and is led away from it. So it's, I just think it's interesting. One of them felt like they needed to emulate, or Kylo Ren felt like he needed to emulate his family. And then Rey felt that she, she needed to not. But either way, they were both led somewhere else by a more powerful force. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so I do have a couple comments about that because it does seem to be evident that there is a little bit of implicit anxiety or maybe it's not so well disguised. An anxiety from the writers to make the new series feel like this is something different and maybe they feel an immense amount of uh, uh, pressure on them uh, to live up to the expectations of the the fans and 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 all the Star Wars, the several decades of Star Wars lore that have have has accumulated over the past past several years and generations, um, and I think that there's a good deal of commentary on that, especially in say the Last Jedi, on how can we make this series new and fresh somehow, and I think that that kind of commentary is sort of written into Kylo Ren's character. Yes, for sure. This feeling that there's a the, we have this great villain that we have and and I have to live up to being as evil as he is is part of part of his anxiety and so I, you know, I think of course I could kind of go into that and say Look, there was there 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 there's a problem with this of recapturing the series, the magic of the original series, which you're never going to do. Um, but also, I think that there is something um, in the original story that kind of leans into this idea that that something old is dying. The very first words which captured the imagination of the generation was when the words flashed on the screen a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So already, when we're thrust into this world, we're thrust into a a beat-down ancient future, which is really kind of strange, and I think that's what made it fresh, because it's technological, but there's dust on it, and it's gritty. And when you're thrust into this world of the Jedi Order, the very first film, when the very first film came out, it was episode four, it started in Medius Rays, in the middle of things, the Jedi Order was already going extinct. Um, and, and, I forgot his name, General Tarkin, right? <laughs> General Tarkin Who we was saying to Darth Vader, <laughs> yeah, I know his name now, because I had to look it up earlier. General Tarkin was saying to Darth Vader, you know, the Jedi are extinct. Their fire has gone out of the universe. You, my friend, are all that's left of their religion. And the same thing, Han Solo. There was kind of like the cynicism that was already embedded in this attitude. I mean, which was kind of part of the, the setup that George Lucas wanted to create when he was setting up the story. So there was already this idea that the Jedi Order is dying. Um... In the original series, right when we were coming in, so there's you know it's some there's something ancient here that they're trying to preserve, and so in some sense they did kind of address that when they started the new series 
um, not really directly, but they were going, I mean, there was, Luke has had this whole struggle with preserving versus uh, destroying the ancient Jedi texts and and stuff like that. Um, and the, you know, there's this comment of like the last Jedi and all, and all that sort of thing. And is there going to be any kind of legacy here? So that kind of, I think may be part of what, you know, the, they're, they're trying to work into here is where do we go from here with the Jedis? What is the future of the Jedis? And is there a future for the Jedis? Mm -hmm. What, and also maybe you could ask what, why is why is the Jedi religion dying, and what is it about this connection with the Force, which is somehow fading away? Right. Well, also, I think it's important that, because fate, there's, I mean, the beginning of Anakin's story is that there's this prophecy about him bringing balance to the Force, and then that happens in a way that nobody could have foreseen, but that he sort of can't get rid of. I mean, Revenge of the Sith, which is one of Trinity's favorite movies. Oh, you already know. Um, there's this whole idea, I mean, that's a very old mythological idea, which is if there's a prophecy, Anakin keeps having dreams about his wife dying, he takes action to try to stop that, and then it happens anyway. So there's sort of this idea woven into the prior movies that things can be fated to happen in a way that individuals can't overcome. And so I think it's really interesting Mm -hmm. that here in Rise of Skywalker, we have Rey, who is a Palpatine. So the last Jedi that we have has the Emperor's blood in her, which seems, if there's an accident waiting to happen, (laughs) if there's anything that could spell the end of the Jedi, it seems like it would be that, that she feels like she's sort of fated to turn to the dark side. And we have the whole scene where she fights against the dark version of her. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it, it just seems like there's this whole idea that the Jedi should fall. That this should be the end of the Jedi, if only because Rey herself has all of this evil, all of this dark side in her blood. That she's sort of destined for that. And that she has to make individual choices not to do that, to make herself a new family or decide that she belongs to a different lineage of people and not to the emperor's lineage. Well, what do you think? I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Is is it something, you know, could you take it? it take the death of the Jedi Order kind of like an elegy, like in the last of the Mohicans, right? Mm. Which kind of reframed the, the death of, the Native American cultures as kind of like this tragic story um, of like it's tragic, but also it's kind of the inevitable forces of nature. This is this the old order is fading away and the new order has come. I mean, that's kind of why it's called, you know, the last of the Mohicans. Mm -hmm. And there is that kind of I mean, it's really deeply embedded in kind of American culture is this the last of something. Um, True. So. Is that kind of the direction that it's that it's that it's kind of leaning towards in maybe a positive or I should say tragic framing frame of mind a sort of romanticized way of saying goodbye to this old world or is it something that they're trying to 
resurrect? And is it something that we should resurrect? I think it is definitely the end of the Jedi Order in Rise of Skywalker. And I think Mm. it's purposefully the end of the Jedi Order. Because in the same way, and I find it interesting, your mention of Anakin and the prophecy in that movie. Because... That prophecy is fulfilled, but not obviously not in the way that he thinks it will happen, right? Like, um, Padme dies because of him. It's it's the entire people meet their fate on the path they take to avoid it. The so, Oedipus story. That, that same idea, I think, is very present in Rise of Skywalker. Just not in the way that you would think, but in, in a similar way that it's not the way that you'd think in Revenge of the Sith either. He thinks that Padme is going to die, and so he tries to set out to protect her and ends up killing her in doing so. Rey is getting visions or hints that somehow she's going to be the end of the Jedi Order, or she is somehow evil, um, and she's more powerful than she thinks. And through those visions, she ends up burying those two lightsabers in the sand, in an attempt, I think, this is my interpretation, and maybe I want to hear what you guys think, but in a lot of ways, she's ending the cycle. She's ending the, um, I think it was, the words you used were the, the, was the blood feud, um, that needed to Mm -hmm. end with her, and that was why she buried those lightsabers. Exactly what that feud is, actually, I think is a little confusing between the movies. It's very confusing. Because sometimes it ends and it looks like the Jedi's, or the Jedi are winning, and then suddenly the Empire. And the Disney needs more money. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah so, okay, okay, Raven. I mean, I think that it's just. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to be hearing your anti uh, Star Wars. Okay. Anyways. Um. Okay. Does that make if sense? Can, what, yes. Yeah. What are your thoughts? If I can add on to what you're saying, so I think it is true that the ending is supposed to basically be saying this is, we're done with this story. It's not that we can't go back and mix solo movies or Rogue One movies or whatever, but this story, at this point chronologically, I think it is supposed to be the end of the Jedi Order. But I think that it's so important, going back to what I was saying earlier, that it not end with Rey being dark. It, it needs to not end yeah. with Rey being what she is, which is a Palpatine. Um, And I think it's important that Palpatine does what he always does and what villains in Star Wars always do, which is he says the whole strike me down. And like, that's how she would turn. That's how she would become him. Um, And that would still Mm -hmm. be the end of the Jedi Order because she would still be the last one. But it's so important that it ends with her being what she is, which is not, not power hungry, not evil. Like, he offers her a throne and she has to decline that. And not only does she have to to decline that, she has to decline killing in the most clear way, just striking down in anger this man who killed her parents. So, the Jedi Order can end and I think the movie is saying that it can and that that would even be a good thing. Even if we're nostalgic for the time of the Jedi, they're done now and that's okay. But it needs to end this way. And it's important how it ends. Because she, Mm. even though she's a Palpatine, she has to change something about herself. She has to defeat that part of her before they can end. Well, there's, there's this whole problem, the fundamental problem with the Jedi Order, 
Well, I wouldn't. Would I call it a problem? I don't know. But one of the one of the rules of the Jedi Order is that you can't get married. And and so that's something that definitely relegates the people who become Jedi to a minority from the beginning. Um, but then there's this also, like you said, this family feud that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and family feuds are also constrained to time. They can only last so many generations. And that was part of the problem with with preserving the British monarchy is that they, you know, they attributed so much value to blood and and royalty to blood and they they almost they sacralized it to some degree. Right. And the reason why that couldn't it couldn't be self-sustaining is because what happens when you don't bear a son? You know, what what happens when you don't have a child? That's just not reliable and then you have to resort to incest and then you can you know, have children born with all these sort of uh, deformities as a result of that. And so this in the, it, it, it results in this kind of inbred problem, which is inherently self-destructive. And so that, I think, is kind of inevitable uh, with with the setup that this is kind of a, a, a setup of these are, you know, archaic forces in these families at war of war with each other that's doomed to to failure um and then but yeah and then and then ray makes his choice which in and luke makes this interesting comment where he says some things are are deeper than blood and then ray kind of internalizes that by at the end of the movie stating i'm a skywalker she doesn't get any official paperwork to do that mm-hmm. uh, she just says it it's it, like you know, that's what I want. And actually, you know, you know, now that I'm talking about this, this makes me think because I was just reading, um, reading uh, uh, earlier today about from Hebrews about the order of Melchizedek. Oh yeah. Um, yep. And you know, isn't that kind of an interesting person that the author of Hebrews brought up? Because the order, the Melchizedek, was mentioned to be a priest without any mother or father or lineage, and Mother or father, in that sense, doesn't mean that Melchizedek wasn't born. It just meant that he had no recorded history. That's what uh, the author of Hebrews meant. And the order of Melchizedek becomes the order of priesthood, which Christians actually are a part of. And what what, uh, the author of Hebrews was was saying was that, you know, we're not going to honor this kind of old Jude uh, this old form of Judaism where we're going to keep everything constrained to the ethnic boundaries of Judaism and everything has to be constrained to the Judaic priesthood there's a holy priesthood which is which is endowed to anyone who acknowledges Christianity and so there's that also that theme of Judaism has to to be replaced or by the new Christian order. So we have that kind of time markers that we use now, which is before Christ and Anno Domini, Anno Domini being in the year of our Lord. So when the new priesthood emerges, 
um, we're, we're faced with a choice where we have to go forward. We can't go back. We can't preserve the old priesthood. There's a new priesthood that's not de defined by blood. It's defined by belief. Well, the whole idea of you become a, a Christian becomes a son of Abraham by adoption. Adopt, you're grafted yes. in. Yes. You know, you're not native. Yep. And so, and so Ray isn't, Ray isn't native. And maybe that's kind of the point. I think it's also the significance of her taking on the light or the white lightsaber. So getting rid of the defining lines between almost the family ties. Um, and I view mm -hmm. the lightsabers almost more as a family tie than anything else. Because if you have a red lightsaber, you're on the dark side. If you have a blue or a green, you're on the light side. And then, but also, while while getting rid of that, still taking on the name of Skywalker, because it isn't about what family you are from anymore. It is about what you stand for. And the Skywalkers have always stood for sacrificing mm -hmm. um, themselves, except for Anakin. Ooh, no, Anakin Even does Anakin too. Anakin does. Yeah. Well, also I think it's important, I mentioned earlier Rey being offered the throne, and I wasn't even thinking about this when I said it, but that Rey being a Palpatine, being the granddaughter of the Emperor, there's a sense in which she's being offered something that, by lineage, belongs to her. Um... And she has to turn that down in order to to win, <laughs> to, to save her friends. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the tempting of Jesus in the Gospels um, that he, that Satan offers him, well, offers something that already belongs to him, right? Which is, he says, all these kingdoms and everything, you can have it all. Um, but that Jesus has to do, has to commit sin in order to do that. And that Rey is offered this thing that really does belong to her by right, which is this throne, but she has to commit sin in order to do it. Um, and that's what she has to refuse to do in order to, in the end, I guess, sort of earn the right to call herself a Skywalker. That she goes through all of that, through this temptation, before she can be fully what she actually is, which is a Skywalker ultimately by adoption. Yeah, yeah. And... You know, I think the the names that George Lucas comes up with are, I think, particularly interesting. That's what I liked about the original series is that George Lucas definitely had etymological roots to all of his names. Um, and as an etymology teacher, I find that intriguing. So um, Luke obviously is Lucas from the gospel, which means light. And Darth Vader is meant so Vader is German for father and so dark Darth Vader was meant to be dark father and so if Luke had just gone on Wiktionary online then he would have figured out that Darth Vader was his father a long time ago <laughs> um but you know the pun on Luke Skywalker's name that he's Luke and he walks on the sky I mean there's some kind of like prophetic element in his name um, that he's supposed to represent some lineage of light, which is eventually going to, you know, you know, be the light. Um, and so, again, Lucas is bringing in all of these kind of like a hodge, kind of like J.K. Rowling. He brings in a hodgepodge of different religions altogether, mm -hmm. and 
And so there's elements of Christianity in there and there's elements of Buddhism and Eastern philosophy and, and kind of postmodernism too, all mixed in with it. And so, you know, I don't know, it, it, it's a little bit, I think that it may be sometimes of a stretch to come in and say all of this is Christian or this is a Christian story. Um, I think that there are ideas that are very clearly not Christian, but like I said, there are parts of it. I, I, I but you have to pick and choose yeah. because I think that's what Lucas did when he was picking when he when he was designing the story. I think we should talk about uh, Kylo Ren now. Now that we we've, we've talked for a long time about other things, because I mean, I personally. For people who know me, this is no secret, but I think Kylo Ren is the most interesting character in any of the Star Wars movies. Um, partially because I love Adam Driver, but also the character is just very good. Um, and I think part of the reason he's so good is that he, I think, is unique as a Star Wars character for a couple of reasons. First of all is what, uh, Raymond, you were mentioning earlier, which is that he has something to live up to. And that in kind of a meta sense, he is representing the entire new trilogy, which is he wants to be something that he is not, which is a new Darth Vader. And he's clearly not that. And lots of people watching the new trilogy have complained that they're like, oh, well, he's a whiny child. Well, yeah, of course, that's his character. Um, he's a different character from Darth Vader and he has a different arc. His character art is arc is just different from any other character who's come before him. And he also ends up having probably the most complete redemption arc of any character in the series because Anakin obviously has his moment in the end where he has pity on his son and shows mercy and defeats the Emperor but it's at the very very end whereas we see a lot more of Kylo Ren's change very intentional change from being Kylo Ren to going back to being Ben Solo, which is what he was first. Um, and one thing that I think is symbolic of that is the fact that his transformation takes place on a planet of water with huge waves and that they're constantly being washed with these waves, which to me is uh, baptism symbolism, especially because we can think of the water planet as being sort of set in contrast to the fire planet what's it called oh i don't know the name oh, okay of the fire planet. okay but here is what i will say structured very similarly if you just look at the fight scene in revenge of the sith at the end in contrast with the fight scene in rise of skywalker they are structured so similarly not just in the way that they fight but the similarity of the actual planes that they fight on, the fact that they start inside, they move out to a narrow uh, beam, basically. And on the fire planet, you have Anakin fighting and turning to the dark side and becoming someone who he's not, becoming Darth Vader. And then on this other planet, you have Kylo Ren fighting um, and becoming someone who he is supposed to be, who he was before. So he's turning from Kylo Ren into Ben Solo, um, and I think that it's no accident that they're fighting on a water planet versus a fire planet. Well, the other moment, so in the original fight, so in the, the fire planet fight between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi has to 
leave Anakin there to die. And he thinks that's what he's doing. He thinks he's leaving him there to die. Um, and he's wrong because then he ends up being sort of resurrected as Darth Vader. But Obi-Wan Kenobi intends to leave Anakin to die. Whereas Rey stabs Kylo Ren and is fully capable of leaving him there to die. And instead makes the intentional choice, which she makes also in an earlier scene, to use this kind of unique power that she has that no other character really has, which is to heal him. So she doesn't leave him to die, she brings him back to life, um, and calls him Ben. Which is his real name, <laughs> but the name that nobody's called him in a very long time. Um, and then there's that scene right afterwards where his father appears and there's the exchange of dialogue. Uh, Kylo Ren says, your son is dead, and then... So I wrote in my notes, is Han Solo a Jedi now? Because he can appear as a ghost? <laughs> I don't know. I guess so. I don't know. He doesn't have, like, the special glue, like, glow, glitter glue sparkly stuff around him, so I guess it doesn't make yeah, him... Yeah, I don't think he was showing up as a ghost. I'm pretty sure he was in... Yeah. Ben's mind. But, um... I don't know. Also, Mustafar. I'm... Oh, Mustafar. It's Mustafar. <laughs> there we I'm go. I'm so sorry. I, I can't let that one slide. The lava planet. I can't believe that slipped my mind. I was thinking about something else. Anyways, sorry. Yeah, whether, whether Han Solo is in his head or not, the exchange of... Uh, ben Solo saying, Son is dead. And then Han Solo saying, No. Kylo Ren is dead. My son is alive. So there's really explicitly this death to life transformation that happens as they're being washed with these huge waves of water. Um, so I think the baptism imagery is kind of unmistakable. The fact that he goes from what he was to what he really is, that there's a transformation that happens in death, that he dies in this water, and then he comes back to life as a different person. I also think it's important that he, in the end, sacrifices himself, kind of in more ways than one, for Rey, um, because he is also from that lineage, that he, when he changes, when he transforms, uh, he goes back to being part of the whole Skywalker family because Han Solo married into that family. So he has Skywalker blood in him. Um, and I think that there's a statement being made there about the fact that part of what it means to be a Skywalker is to be self-sacrificial, not just for the good of the whole world or whatever. It's not necessarily to save everyone, but even just to save one person and that so when, when Rey at the end takes that name, when she calls herself a Skywalker, that part of what she's doing, I think, is taking on the burden of sacrifice that's in within the Skywalker family. I think that's also partly what Ben Solo means before he throws his lightsaber when he says, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Right. You know, he, he knows that he's taking on that burden, and that's what he... Like, he knows what he's signing up for, and right. he's going to have to do it now. And also, it's partly that he's going to have to get rid of who he has been for the past um, majority of his life. So, yeah. that's also part of it. So, there is this idea of the Skywalker is a name that you take voluntarily, which I think may be the fundamental change in the new series, um, which is interesting, uh, like, because of the ideas that we talked about before. 
in the same way, the idea of a Christ, of Christian being a name that you take on voluntarily is also, I would argue, a very new idea in the time that Christianity came to the first century because it it was the first time Paul is coming forward and introducing the idea that uh, it's a Christ, uh, Christianity is a religion that's not by birth um, and not by lineage. It's a name that you take on and you you put on the armor of Christ. It's a clo it's clothing. You you put it on yourself. Um, you're not born into it. You don't inherit it. And and so there's nothing particularly special about you. So I think that 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 is there. That is true. Um, but I still would want want to say that you know even with that is even if that imagery is there, I think that the 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 writers suffered from a lack of intention behind it that made it somewhat disappointing at least in the way that they executed their ideas. Maybe I would go so far to say that they had good instincts, which is maybe the best that all any of us could say <laughs> is, you know, and that's a compliment. I mean, that's a compliment to say you have good instincts. Um, but I think that someone that was a little bit more confident in what they were trying to say, or at least knew the kind of mythological structure that they were inform that they were exploring with a little bit more knowledge could have written something a lot stronger. Um, like, for example, one of the things that I think is really, really blew my mind, you know, when connecting to Star Wars was when I first started studying Dante's Commedia, because Dante also conceptualized the universe as being animated by a force. And, like, wow, that's really interesting. And the force is gravity, and gravity is love. That is the idea, the central idea of Dante's Commedia. So he uses the idea of the force, except the force is shaped by something a little bit more intelligent and personal. And the force is love, and love is a person. And the person is the prima mobile, and the prima mobile is God, which is the source of all motion. He's the center of the universe. And so he has designed this incredibly... Uh, incredibly intricate cos co cosmology around, you know, the, the geocentric conception of the universe in which the God, the sun, the S-U-N and S-O-N, the sun, sun, pun, God is the center of it and the source of all motion. And Dante actually moves through the universe by this force of love. And it, and this analogy between a force, between love, and between gravity are all woven together in this incredibly beautiful way in, in Dante. And what I think is interesting is that when Lucas had actually spoken about his original vision for the new series, and he was going to introduce a race of creatures called the Wills. And the Wills were spelled W-H-I-L-L-S, uh, the Wills. Mm. Um and I'm like, that's intriguing to me. When I read that, I was like, wow, I wish I had known. I, I wanted to see what Lucas wanted to do with the story instead of seeing it sold to Disney. Because it seemed like, okay, maybe there's a pun there between the wills and someone with a will. Um, maybe there's there's these potential for celestial beings that um, have a deeper connection or a more personal 
face behind the force. And that would be an interesting development that would be fresh, that would be different. And also, I think, a little bit deeper mythologically speaking. But I, I mean, like I said, that I mean, I know I know I can just go on and say, you know, like I'm just focused on what could have been instead of, you know, what is. Um, but, you know, that's I mean, that's how I feel about it. That's that's why I think it's not that I, you know, I hate the series. I just hate it because of what it what what I see it could it be could being uh, and just feeling that it that it could have been better. I think that's very interesting because because of the comparison of Kylo Ren to the entire trilogy, where it's you wanted to see something different, which I think a lot of people did. Well, I saw it almost happening. That's the thing, though. Yeah. It's not that I wanted to see something totally different. It's that the ideas that we're talking about right now that are there, but they're not there enough um, because I don't think that they were they were designed with with a purpose or with intention. I mean, I think at best it was accidental. I I would say that that's arguable. I don't think that it's necessarily accidental, and I think that a lot of the contrasts um, and a lot of the, for example, the the fights on I, I'm gonna bring this up again the the fights on Mustafar and then on the water planet that is a an amazing comparison and I also think that it's a really powerful depiction of even like what we're talking about with the entire trilogy of Kylo Ren trying to be one thing and then being Ben Solo <laughs> in the same way the trilogy yeah, yeah. almost in a certain way it's trying to be something else and then realizing almost in real time yeah <laughs> that it needs to be what it was before right and so yeah you're seeing a lot of mm -hmm. the same motifs you're seeing a lot of the same characters you're seeing a lot of the same tropes and with that you're going to experience the nostalgia of the previous movies but you're also going to see something different you are going to see the jedi order become something different where it used to be more of a monastery now it's going to be far more individualized and People are going to be not separated along family lines. You're going to see people be themselves and have more have, have good and evil in them. You're going to see them have chaos and order inside of them. You're going to see that there mm -hmm. isn't there isn't as much of a stark line between people at all. Everyone is connected, and I think that that's the um, not only the cultural trajectory. I think just of our nation, for one, I think that that's, that's what they were also doing with the series. And that's kind of what ended up happening. Whether or not that was intentional, again, it's arguable. I just, I don't think that you can say it was most likely an accident or that it Or completely was. accidental. For example, like the fact that Rey calls herself a Skywalker in the end... I was even thinking earlier about the fact that the writers had options. It's not that Skywalker was the only option, and that it's intentional that she chooses that name. And there are other options. She could have said, I'm just Rey. Like, it's okay for me to not have a lineage, or not be attached to a family, that I'm an individual, and it's okay, I don't need to be tied to some sort of ancestry. She could have said that, and that would have been one message. She could have said, Rey Palpatine, and it's just okay that she comes from that background and her family doesn't define her. 
she could have said Ray Solo because Han Solo is probably the closest thing to a father figure that she has at any point in the series. Um, and that Leia, who was married to Han Solo, was the closest thing to a mother figure. So she has parental figures who are both Solos. She could have picked any one of those names, but she says Skywalker, and the writers have her say Skywalker. And that the fact that Skywalker has just been so clearly tied to sacrificing yourself and your desires and your life for someone else or multiple people. I think that's important. <laughs> and I think that does seem intentional to me, that there's there's a taking on of a burden of sacrifice that's part of that family that she chooses to take cool. on. She's taking on a burden to be willing to sacrifice herself. Because that's what Skywalkers do. This is this is going back to something from earlier, and I don't know if it's directly related to the sacrifice idea, but we talked a little bit earlier about how the first time we see her, she's saying, be with me. And she wants to be part of this community of Jedi who have come before, and she's not. And that's a problem for her, that she feels alone. And then there's that scene at the end when she's staring up at the sky, she's looking up at these stars, and there are all these voices of Jedi from before who are telling her to get up, that she needs to pull through, <laughs> that she has to save the world. Um, and that idea is, I mean, different denominations think about this differently, but the Apostles' Creed talks about believing in the communion of saints. Um, and even... The cloud of witnesses. Right, the cloud of witnesses. And the fact that uh, in Christian art for a very long time, the stars are associated with saints. So she's lying there looking up at the stars and there are all these voices. And there's even, uh, there's the voice of younger Anakin Skywalker saying, bring balance to the force as I did. So there's this sense of them saying, imitate me, do what I did. Um, and then that's ultimately what gives her the strength to continue is the fact that she has this force of those who have come before her and that she is part of this Jedi communion of saints. Um, when the Jedi order is similar in some ways to a church, probably more similar to the Eastern church than it is to any Western church, but even so that she's connected to that to, to all the those who have come before her. Mm. Good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Trin still likes it. I still do. Uh, well, thank you all for listening to us talk and argue a little bit about The Rise of Skywalker. We will see you next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Unreliable Narrators, a Stoa Mars Hill podcast. Unreliable Narrators is an original podcast produced by Stoa alumni. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts can be found. If you enjoy this podcast, please visit our website at unreliablenarratorspodcast.wordpress.com or email us at unreliablenarratorsstoa at gmail.com. That's unreliablenarrators, S-T-O-A, at gmail.com. And let us know what piece on the Stoa Mars Hill list you would like to hear discussed next. Until then, friends, may the Force be with you. I know you can see something inside The one part of me that I cannot hide And maybe it's true that nothing
much more.